Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. We are still in our book of Mark, and here we are in the first chapter, verses 29 through 39, and we are in Capernaum, and we're in this wonderful story of healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So that's where we're going to start, and I, let's have Alan start put this into context for us. We're still in this opening section of Mark's gospel, which um, began back in, in, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, you know, with the declaration that Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And uh, Mark recounts um, Jesus' ministry in Galilee, but, and particularly in Capernaum and in the region around it. Um, and I think it's important to note that all of this is, is Mark's way of demonstrating that Jesus not only proclaims but also enacts the good news that the kingdom of God has come near and we see that demonstrated today by the miraculous healings Uh, he heals Peter's mother-in-law but he heals others as well and by casting out demons one of the one of the questions here is this location of Capernaum can you tell us a little about Capernaum why Mark is using this as his kind of launching spot for Jesus that's a good question uh, because if you look at the various gospels each one sort of has their own way of launching Jesus ministry in Matthew's gospel it's the Sermon on the Mount in John's gospel it's the wedding at Cana in Luke's gospel it's Jesus um, um, preaching and teaching at the uh, synagogue at Nazareth in Mark's gospel, we have this sort of um, um, ministry at Capernaum, and um, it's interesting because we do know that there is a structure in Capernaum that has been identified as an ancient synagogue, stated to about the third century, but it's likely that it would have, if there was a synagogue in Capernaum in the first century, that the, that the third century one would have been built on the same site. So, so we do have evidence of that. And nearby, there's a cluster of one-room houses upon which was built an octagonal church in the 5th century, and presumably on the assumption that it was the site of Peter's house. And we know this based on the fact that they've discovered, archaeologists have discovered ancient graffiti there. So, you know, not, we're not talking about gang signs. We're talking about, you know, Christian markings mm-hmm. that, that identify this place. And so um, um, Capernaum is where Simon, Peter, and Andrew lived, perhaps even near the synagogue. And in fact, there, there is a theory out there that um, much of Mark chapter 1 recounts a sort of a day at Capernaum and may have been from a source that predated Mark's gospel. And it may have served in Mark's gospel as kind of a founding story for the house church that met in Capernaum. So that's some, there's some interesting possibilities here. We don't really know for sure right. about any of this, but um, it, it is interesting that Mark's, Mark sort of arranges all of this, all of these events together, places them at Capernaum, mm-hmm. and, and groups them together at the beginning of his gospel, which, you know, seems to be a way of, of, for him to, to set the tone for mm-hmm. his, his story mm-hmm. of Jesus' life. Of course, in Capernaum is one of the famous cities. So what an interesting spot for mm-hmm. for house church undoubtedly there was a church there I mean, this all so. makes sense yeah. this all makes sense and yet the archaeological evidence is is 
behind us, right? Um, and uh, and well, uh, it's 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 suggestive. It's not yeah, conclusive, right? It's not conclusive, and there's yeah. obviously going to be more coming out of there as as we continue to discover things. Um, so let's talk about this day in Capernaum, as uh, as placed out to us in this story, and what happens, and and tell us about what happens and tell us about how this is portrayed by Mark. Okay, so um, as Mark indicates, they left the synagogue and went to Simon and Andrew's home, which may have been very near to the synagogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Simon's mother-in-law was there lying down, suffering with a fever. And um, Mark says, literally and immediately they speak to him about her <laughs> which is is very characteristic of mark we've already seen how mark uses immediately mm-hmm. all the time euthus mm-hmm. in the greek so the combination of euthus in the greek immediately and what we have is a historical present tense of the verb legusin they're combined for dramatic effect in Mark's gospel. And, and the reason why I mention that is because this is something that happens over and over and over again in Mark. He uses euthus, he really overuses euthus, and he kind of <laughs> yeah. overuses the historical present. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a recurring feature in Mark's style in Greek. And most English translations don't, you know, they, 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 they render it into good English style as opposed right. to, you know, translating it very literally. And I think if you if you if you don't have any Greek background, you you miss some of that in in that Mark places in there. So you while you can read immediately when you see it in the Greek, it really it really does kind of stand out it to does you. Indeed. Um it, you know, and we 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 could see English the same way if we were using English in a way and immediately just now together if we saw that over and over and over and over, it would it would begin to we begin to notice it right away. It would get repetitive. And your English teacher would cross it out. Right. Which is why your translators <laughs> cross it out. But right, important right. that's really important, I think. It, well the out. translators try to vary it up. They vary use it up. different yeah. they use different transitional words. Yeah, yeah. But in the Greek it's not. So that's kind yeah. of an important um, situation yeah. there. Um, okay. So then um, you know, we're moving we're moving forward through this and tell us a little bit more about this this mother-in-law who is sick um and what happens now with jesus and why is this significant well it's we have a similar situation i think here to the passage last week about the man with the unclean spirit um just like there are many exorcists in jesus day there were many healers in jesus day and they usually either prescribed useless remedies Mm -hmm. or perhaps they engaged in theatrics to put on a good show but again by contrast, Mark simply says that Jesus raised her up, or perhaps better, woke mm-hmm. her up, took her by the hand, and the fever left her. Period. You know, yeah. there's no, there's no elaborate anything. He just wakes her up, you know, helps her out of the bed, and the fever leaves her. This, and I think this surprises us because we, in our minds, is he's rebuking these evil spirits, and yet here's this very simple description here, mm-hmm. which which really doesn't have anything um, miraculous going on at all. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. Right. Yeah. Well, and frankly, one of the things, one of the things I think that's striking about Jesus' miracles in the Gospels that I've noticed is uh, the sort of the way they're kind of downplayed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, Jesus' action itself is fairly um, uh, unspectacular, you know, and yet, of course, obviously the result is. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so um, 
as evidence of her health, she began serving them. And again, I thought I would mention the fact that the verb is in the imperfect tense. It's the imperfect tense of uh, diakoneo. Literally, she was serving them. Mm-hmm. And when you might wonder why the translators say she began serving them. And, and there are places where the imperfect tense is used this way. And what we have to do, it's not like there's anything different about this imperfect tense verb over against another imperfect tense verb, or it's the word diakoneo, it's just the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was lying down, suffering from a fever. After Jesus healed her, she began serving them. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of the situation that helps us to see that this is um, an aggressive use of the imperfect tense. Right. And I'm I'm appreciating this as, you know, I've told you so many times I'm fairly new at Greek and I probably would have come up with some other uh, not so good interpretation based on that imperfect not understanding that situationally um, kind of helps tell us how we should translate it and that's just and that's that's true for a lot of um, a lot of Greek syntax a lot of the finer details of Greek syntax they're based on the context mm-hmm. whether it's the, the 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 construction of the words or whether it's the historical situation you know mm-hmm. um, that's that's really what's key in in discerning these sort of finer points of Mm -hmm. Greek grammar. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very, very helpful. And I'm, you know, as I'm thinking about, about this and, and this, um, this idea how Jesus heals, um, and that it's not this kind of showy thing. I think that's probably a great surprise to readers in ancient age who are used to this kind of theatrics. Yeah. I mean, isn't he, it's kind of making me say, well, isn't he going to do anything? <laughs> I mean, and I think that's what's yeah, so amazing about Yeah, he's going to actually it. restore her to health. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the key. And I, I want to hold on to that idea as we continue our discussion today, because I think that's part of the key to this passage, really. Yes. Um, is that he's really if you will, not doing anything, <laughs> right? But he um, is restoring he her is. to health. He's restoring her to health, and yeah. I think that's a very a And very that's a demonstration, of- again, of his, his, as we saw last week, it's a demonstration of his authority slash power as the one who is right. bringing the kingdom of God near. Right, right. And so, yeah, let's hang on to that. To, let's, let's, I just want to hang on to it, and we'll go back to it later um, because it's important for our reformers also. Cool. Um, yeah. So... Okay, then we move on to the next piece of this that all these people hear about it and the whole city comes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we, we have to remember we're still in the first century. So the whole city of Capernaum was probably about 1,500 people in that day, which was a city in, in that day, in that time and place. Um, but uh, it's not like, you know, we, have, we, we would consider it to be a village or a town, you know. Right, um, right. What is important to note is that the whole city came to the door of Peter's house when evening came. And I think Mark wants to stress that because the point is the Sabbath day is over. Mm. So they waited until the Sabbath day was over in order to bring those who are ill and those who mm-hmm. are demon-possessed, as Mark puts it, um, to be um, restored to health by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, would 1,500 people have fit in the space in front of Simon and Andrew's home? I don't know. I mean, it says Mark says that they were at the door. The whole city was at that was gathered at the door, right? right? <laughs> uh, maybe we're thinking here about a procession rather than a flash mob. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but one thing to note here that I that I you know if you if you're reading this in the Greek and maybe even in the English you might catch the fact that Mark says they brought all those who were ill 
and all those who are possessed by demons. But then he reports that Jesus healed many mm-hmm. of those who were ill and cast out many demons. And we might wonder, well, well, did he pick and choose or, or you know, who got left out? Right. But I don't think we should read too much into the difference because it's likely that many reflects the Hebrew term for many, rabim, which is often used in the Hebrew Bible as in a very broadly inclusive way, really almost synonymous with all. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, and, and we'll see that another time in Mark's gospel where, where many really probably refers to all. That's also very helpful because that's, again, another place where someone new in Greek is going to get really tripped up (laughs) over, well, Jesus obviously selected. No, no, I don't think so either. I don't think that fits with who Jesus is. Well, and one side note here in Luke's Luke's account of this, it says that he placed his hand on each and every one of them Mm -hmm. and healed them. So it's, it's like one by one, Jesus you know, encountered each one. And so I, I think yeah. we can read the same idea. I think we can read this with the same idea that, that everyone who came got, got restored to health. I'm kind of smiling. It's like Luke got a hold of it and said, oh, I can see people misunderstanding this. I better make this a little clearer. <laughs> well, I mean, Mark's, Mark's Greek is, 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 is a bit challenging in, in that he uses constructions that are, that are a little bit, well, they, they, they reflect it's like he's he's writing Greek, but he's thinking Hebrew or right. Aramaic, yeah. right? Yeah. And whenever you do that, you know, it, it doesn't quite come out right. Luke's Greek is a little better Greek than than right, than and so the other he can gospel writers and can pick up on these yep. these errors, right? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call them errors. That errors I would call that's them, not a good use. I would call them. He he kind of polishes up the polishes, style. Polishes polishes <laughs> yeah. the style. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're heading on through our passage, and after this set of, he- of healings, um, uh, Jesus gets up early when it's very dark and goes out to a deserted place to pray. Um, so we can talk a little bit about what, what's what's he doing? Is this is this something he's is is this something he does for a long period of time? Is this a short period of time? Um, well, I mean, the the actually one of the Greek words here. Um, um, can, some people identify it as it was between three a.m. and six a.m. So that's that's very early indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so the idea is that he was praying for a while. You know mm-hmm. that he kept praying for a long time. Um, and so much so that when Simon and the others got up, they you know, they missed him. He was, wasn't mm-hmm. there. And so mm-hmm. they went looking for him. And interestingly, when they found Jesus, they tell him, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> now, one, one, one detail in the, in the Greek here is that the verb for looking for him, that when, when it says that Simon and the others went looking for him, it's katadioko. And if you know the word dioko, that's the word translated persecute. And katadioko can have a negative implication as to, as to, as to chase down oh, in a, in a oh, hostile oh, way. Oh, oh, I see. Uh-huh. But I think in this case, we're not meant to see it that way. It's more of um, they were desperate to find desperate. him. Desperate. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were desperate okay. to find him. And so, you know, Peter says, everyone is looking for you. You know, and so the idea apparently is that, hey, we had this wonderful, you know, turnout last night. You know, let's go back and, and exactly. let's, let's build on that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come and do more and perform better. And Jesus is in prayer. 
This yeah. is really interesting. Jesus isn't celebrating, hey, all these people are, are well, maybe he is, but but in prayer, not in right. not in front of everybody right. else. Right. Very interesting, yeah. Well, and, and, and it's interesting because Jesus' response to them is that they were going to leave and go to the neighboring towns and villages in order to preach there. And he says, for this purpose, I came out or came forth. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know exactly how to translate the verb uh, exalthen here. Um, it's a bit ambiguous. Um, the question is, is he saying that he left Capernaum in order to preach the neighboring, preach to the neighboring villages? Or is he saying that he came forth, i.e. from God, this is right, his sort of his mission, this is his mission understanding of his whole mission to preach mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm, other, to the other mm-hmm. uh, uh, towns and villages. Uh, and in fact, there is, a, there is a variant reading here that would support the, the second idea that, that maybe Jesus was talking about his sense of mission and purpose. Uh, and we, we have other statements of, of Jesus mm. coming in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 17, he says he came not to call um, the righteous but sinners. Mm-hmm. And in, in Mark chapter 10, 45, he says that he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, I, I think it's I think I think it's intentionally ambiguous, and I think it's kind of a both and. You know, he came mm-hmm. he left Capernaum because he knows that his his purpose is to is to preach to the other towns, mm-hmm. and this is also sort of a statement of his general right. purpose. Right, right. And and so what I see here is a pattern that I think is typical of Jesus' ministry. Jesus encounters a crowd of people and meets their need either by teaching or by feeding them or by healing them or by casting out demons or a combination mm-hmm. of those. Uh, and afterwards, he goes out and seeks a deserted place to pray alone. And as a result of that, he leads the disciples to some other place to continue his ministry. And so it would seem from that pattern that Jesus was wary of the mm-hmm. crowds, mm-hmm. perhaps because you know, it seemed that they were primarily drawn to his miraculous power, mm-hmm. not necessarily his proclamation of the kingdom. Right. And Jesus knew, I think, and perhaps Jesus had in, in, in prayer, Jesus had to continually reaffirm in prayer his understanding that he was not called to be a miracle worker, but rather to proclaim the good news of the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And, uh, of course, we know as we go in and out through the book of Mark, we see this Jesus healing um, over and over and over and over. And so how does that continue to either proclaim the kingdom of God? And to what extent is that part of God's power working through the Holy Spirit, which I think is very much present in, in Mark as well. So, um, yeah, what an interesting piece. I would say it's all of the above. I mean, I, I think, you know, Jesus sees him, his primary purpose as, as proclaiming the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But proclaiming the kingdom also means means confronting the demons exactly and it means yeah. and it means that people who are ill are brought to him and exactly. when they when they come to him he heals them he doesn't now he doesn't go out seeking to to have a ministry of healing primarily that's not his first right priority right, right. his first priority is the kingdom of god right. but his healing miracles and his his exorcisms serve to demonstrate that he is truly enacting the kingdom of yeah. god in their midst yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Um, uh, one of the one of the themes that um, you have brought up uh, in our notes is that you know in Mark's gospel we don't have this whole temptation narrative. So how does Mark deal with that concept? Yeah, I, well, in, in 
earlier in the chapter, there's just kind of a verse or two where he just says, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit, and there he was tempted by the devil for mm -hmm. 40 days, you know, and afterwards uh, the angels ministered to him, and that's about it, you know. Um, um, Matthew and Luke have this elaborate thing where it recounts three separate, very distinct temptations that, that Jesus faces. Um, and all of them, I think, even in Matthew and Luke, have to do with um, how Jesus understood his role as the one who was not only proclaiming the kingdom of God, but also enacting it among people. And so we don't have that kind of extended temptation narrative, per se, in Mark's gospel. But it would seem that this pattern of Jesus encountering the crowds, meeting their needs, withdrawing to pray, leading his disciples elsewhere, it would seem that the implication is that Jesus continually faced a temptation to give in to the attention he received from the crowd, mm -hmm. to give in mm -hmm. to their, their longing for him to heal their sick. And, and again, you know, I think again and again and again, Jesus had, uh, retreated into prayer yeah. to, to help re, you know, him recenter and re remember that his purpose mm -hmm. was to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near and that his miracles were intended to, to demonstrate that message. He, but rather, he was not come, he, he, he was not called to be a miracle worker right, and right. who sort of incidentally right. had some interesting ideas about the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's so interesting as you're descri describing this because what I'm hearing is the Jesus figure that's fully human, Jesus is fully God, and if you see those, you know, retreating, understanding, I could fall into that human pattern mm -hmm. of taking on this, that I am able to fix things, and it's, it's, it's really, it's part of this, this trinity that I'm, and, and I suppose that language is too, too modern at this particular time, but it's, it's, it's because I'm working I've been sent by God. It's yes. not. It's not. It's yes. not this human part. He knows of me. that he has been mm -hmm. sent by God to do a specific task, mm -hmm. and he continually retreats in prayer to to be reoriented and recentered mm -hmm. on that task mm -hmm. and on that calling. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and, it, it, and when you really think about the amazing presence of mind that that takes, mm -hmm. and yes, he's fully God, but again, how aware fully aware is he of that we don't really know right. i mean it, um it's uh it's such an interesting thing to try to to wrap your brain around he felt the need to pray to god he, absolutely and for long periods of time yes. so this discussion and this this taking the energy off of self is 100 percent part of who jesus is yes. and that's really hard for us egocentric people to <laughs> wrap our brains around right mm -hmm. it, it is and I'm, I'm anticipating here a little bit but I will say um, I have never been a person who likes to be the center of attention. <laughs> and here I am, you know, I'm in ministry. I taught for, for 10 years. I'm, I've been a pastor now for, you know, some 16 mm -hmm. years. And the way that I have been able to do that is I have to consciously, every Sunday, every Sunday I have to consciously, through centering prayer, um, remind myself it's not about me it's this is about the, right. the people it is about serving them it is about the message it is about conveying the message you know and mm -hmm. um, so I think it's I think it's something that <laughs> is is a reality for a lot of us we face that because it, the, you know being a pastor there's a lot of ego temptation involved there in is there is and you see that 
I, I mean, we see that happen, right? We see that happen with <clears throat> some of these mega churches out there, these big uh, televised, televised um, ministry shows that become all about the preacher. Yeah. And I'm sorry, when it's that many people that are that spread out, the ministry is really not about the body of Christ. The, mm-hmm. the ministry is about the person on stage who's who's getting this super attention, and so the the emphasis is wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know Jesus felt the need to withdraw and Absolutely. pray, recenter, and to continue on with the calling that God had put had put on his life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we have one more piece in this to get to, which is the summary of this um, of this. Um, yeah, Mark basically summarizes in 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 verse thirty nine, sort of, and and the and this is a this is a literary feature in in you see in the New Testament and and I think you'd probably see it in other um, contemporary um, documents of the day. You know, rather than telling the story of him going to Bethsaida and to Nazareth and to each and every town, he summarizes it by saying, you know, that Jesus went about preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and that as he was doing that, he was casting out demons. And, um, you know, um, there does seem to be a connection between Jesus fulfilling his role as preaching the kingdom of God and the fact that he continually cast out demons. I think it's interesting that 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 those two are connected here, um, because as we saw last week, you know, Jesus' presence, Jesus' preaching, and Jesus' presence, you know, um, uh, brings the kingdom of God near. He ena- he not only proclaims the kingdom, he enacts the kingdom, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when he does that, then it, appe- it would appear there's some sort of confrontation with the powers of domination and death, and so that's something we see in Mark's gospel that there's a that this this continues to happen, and and I think Mark wants to wants to convey that to us here that this was this was a feature of Jesus' Galilean ministry as he went throughout Galilee preaching in the synagogues. This happened not just once in the in the synagogue of Capernaum, as we saw last week, but this happened multiple times. Wow. Cool. Well, we'll come back and talk about some reformers. Okay, thanks. We are back, and um, we're going to let Christy have a turn to show off here. And so, uh, Christy, tell us, how did the Reformers read this passage about uh, Jesus' ministry? Sure. And as usual, we're going to collapse this all together with um, Matthew and Luke. So they're really talking more about this this experience as as defined by all, and they really don't spend as much time as they do in, in and sometimes pulling out the the nuances between the three gospels, but rather spend quite a bit of time talking about Simon Peter's mother-in-law who's sick, and also the um, and at home. Also, they are going to be talking about just the nature of sickness and what that means, and a little bit about um, how Jesus is sent to go out, and that that's part of the call. So some of the things we've already addressed are things that they picked up on as well. I didn't see the kinds of careful Greek work. It's more situational that they are spending their time with. Um, I think perhaps the most time is spent talking about um, about the sick woman 
And what's interesting there, um, perhaps different than how we've seen before, is they see that her sickness is different than others in Scripture. They see that... um, they see that her illness is really part of aging. Um, and so they, really? yeah, wow. they don't place it as a whole. They don't, they don't place it with the same type of evil that we see some of the other demons later on. They're, they're simply reflecting, look, and how Jesus is treating her is how he's treating somebody who is um, elderly. But what they also emphasized was I, and I'm not sure what's I'm not sure what's going on culturally, but there's a tendency I think to fear those who are dying, fear you might get sick from what's going on, and so their point is, Jesus doesn't ignore her, Jesus doesn't lay her out, but comes to her side. Well, I mean, even in the days of the reformers, a fever could be life threatening. Exactly, exactly. So there's this sense of. This is how one comes to heal. You're not gonna you're not gonna restore her life to its younger stages, but that he's going to reach out and he, she's going to be healed because of the care given to her. Mm. So I thought this was a, mm. an interesting approach to it. And 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 um, Calvin even even went so far as saying, and this really fits into Calvin's theology, um, that C- Jesus reaching out to her was an outward sign of inner grace oh cool so there you go sacramental action Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) sacramental action i interpret the interpret christ laying hands on the sick as meaning simply that he recommended them to the father and thus obtained for them grace and deliverance from their diseases that is an that is a fascinating take on jesus healing ministry it is isn't it interesting it is incredible yeah yeah, so that's uh, that's one of the one main main spaces that we have there. I mean, normally we would think that Jesus, by his own divine power, was able to heal them, you know, or maybe perhaps Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, was able to heal them. But Calvin says, you know, Jesus lays hands on them and commends them to the grace of God, and the grace of God mm-hmm. apparently is what heals exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's. Uh, and it fits very well into his theology as a whole when yeah. we talk about those signs, but but that's how he how he interpreted it. Very, mm. I think, very interesting. Um, now, um, last week we had talked a little bit about that awkward space of where evil is and disease, and I I guess in a sense, um, and I mentioned it before, and I think it's it's really about again that emphasis on on service to others. Um, that interesting balance between how this how God can work to is a stronger force at healing than the evil spirit is it, oh, again yeah. so instead of this dualism fully that but right. if if indeed this is caused by Satan which we talked about last week that God is stronger and God can overcome yeah it. it's not mm-hmm. as if it's not as if God and the powers of evil are co-equal and they're they're right. you know it's like right. the 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 powers of evil have the same power as God when God's power comes in the powers of evil are dispelled exactly Exactly. So that's another piece that you get from some of the other reformers is continue to talk about that little bit, that understanding between um, evil and, and, and good and that battle, and yet that idea that God is still ultimately the, the author. You know, I'll um, be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm continually fascinated by the way some 
um, traditions speak about evil or speak about Satan. And it's, it's almost as if, you know, they want to add Satan to the Apostles' Creed. You know, <laughs> I do. believe in Satan. I mm-hmm. believe in the power of demons. I, and it's just like, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and Satan. And they're all on the same level. Mm-hmm. And that is just not the biblical right. view at all. And certainly, even in a time when popular culture is obviously, you know, sure. f- very polarized, these reformers are saying, you can't give this much space to right. to evil. You they have don't, to, it doesn't deserve it, that much credit. Exactly. I, I used to have people ask me about that, you know, in seminary, and I would say I think a lot of people give give evil too much credit. Well, it's easy. It's easy, and I think it's it was easy for these early people. I think sure. it's easy now if you can explain that the evil has another force. It's easy to think of it in terms of. <laughs> Right. In terms of two forces. Tangible forces in a mm-hmm. tangible way, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I guess it's interesting to think about because they're still they're dealing with that same battle. I call it pop culture and simple explanations versus our faith, which is, which is in some ways more challenging. I mean, God does not make this as simple um, as people want it to be. And I think because falling into faith is a really something that maybe our sinful minds want to go against. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, well, I mean, I, the way I would, I mean, the way I see it is that, um, you know, faith calls us to be the best that we are and calls, draws us to, to, to grow and be better and, and, and to rise above a lot of the things that are easy. And um, um, yeah, it would be easy to take the simplistic answer on a lot of things in life. And faith doesn't call us to it, that. It faith calls call us, us to, to look that. deeper. It's a little bit like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, you know, I think, it, or some weeks ago, when, when, when we were talking about um, whether evil is to be destroyed or be, to be redeemed. You know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. wanted to like the simplicity of evil being destroyed mm-hmm. at the end, and that's not really consistent, I think, with the Bible's message. Exactly, exactly. Again, the easier solution. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, another space that they go with this, which is really, you know, again, we have to think about the context, is that they are using that this um, healing of mother-in-law as evidence of being allowed to be in families, um, being allowed to be married, um, not that Roman Catholic call on your life that you, in order to be in ministry, you have to be celibate. And um, again, you could see the space they're in. And as I was saying before the podcast, I think we forget how very present that is in their reality day mm. after day after day after day. And well, that was kind of the norm for their for that day, wasn't it? Abs- well, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to serve God, yeah. you're going to become celibate and either become a monk or a nun. And that's the you know that's the requirement of the Roman Catholic Church and the expectation. And so many of these people started in the Roman Catholic right. tradition, right. and so. They are going against, in a way, what they what they internalized at one point as being what the requirement was to serve. Well, it was that they felt that it was their call. That right. God was calling them to this life. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so now they have wait. This is not what God ordained. This is not how God wanted us to serve. So, but they've still got that ingrained in them. So this constantly is coming out and saying, "Hey, this here's another example where." clearly evidence that God does not expect. In fact, God doesn't even want 
us to be celibate in our discipleship. That's not who we're called to be. And, um, you know, as Luther will, will put forth and, and, and the reformers after him, um, God's designed us to be in families. God's designed us um, to cling to one an- another, male and female, and to have children. And this is who this is a part of our humanity. And to deny that says God's creation's bad. I mean, you know, right. really, he's really attacking um, Neoplatonism and that early, early tradition that is still there in the Roman Catholic tradition. The flesh is bad. The flesh is bad. Yeah. So what a um, what an interesting thing. Here it is in this space. And more than one uh, reformer makes mention of, of this specific thing. Well, and so. you know, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to imply that a single person can't serve a church effectively because I think we can, we all serve with the gifts that God has given right, to us. Right, right. Uh, but I will say as a pastor, you know, having lived in a family and, and having dealt with the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the highs and lows of family life, it, it gives you a little bit of a perspective on on the family that is the church as well. Exactly, and and how how people interact and the complexities yeah. of that, and uh, the very real experience of being a mother or a father, um, and that kind of bond. Uh, it may be harder to imitate if if you haven't been in that in that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, to be able to identify with Mary who loses her son. Sure. Um, and the depth of that grief, it might be harder when you're stepped a step away. Um, you know, again, I hate to jump in someone else's shoes, but right. um, that those are experiences that are are there's experiences that are unique to being in family for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I think finally, um, one of the other pieces was just simply that sickness is not ignored by God. And the sick are taken care of. It's a call. It's God working through through Christ. It's God working through us as as disciples um, that that helps heal the sick. Well, and, and it's, it's not really like interesting. it's not like Simon Peter's mother in law had a bottle of Tylenol or ibuprofen that mm-hmm. she could take to to make the fever go away. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, we're we're looking at a very different time. And, 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 you know, life expectancies were much shorter and disease, you know, disease was powerful. It, it was something that was a true threat. And, and you know, um, what we would consider to be a simple sinus infection, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. could develop into pneumonia and be terminal. What is interesting, and I've talked about this being an early modern period, we begin to see some of the beginnings of, of early medicine um, in, in early germ theory um, and the beginnings of prescription type really? medicines, usually concoctions, but, but we're getting to see it on a, you know, the, the alchemists are busy. They're coming up with, with prescribable medicines for different things. And I think what's interesting and what is a surprise is that what well, God takes care of the sick, just like we would say that today, it doesn't mean, and this is kind of important, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to use our brains to understand medicine and nature and how, how nature works for it. In other words, Luther and Calvin are all like, um, the doctors are there, they're trained. It is our responsibility 
to listen to them and to try to use, and try to use that to help people. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. So there's not this kind of sense of, oh, if God wants me to die, I'm going to die, you know, right. a kind fatalism. of mentality. That yeah. fatalism is something they are very critical of, which you see in some of the Anabaptist circles. Um, really? Yeah, really? you do. It, uh, Andreas Karlstadt actually gives a, uh, a sermon saying that, hey, you know, uh, if you're sick, God will heal you. Um, you don't really need to seek anything else out. And that's, mm. that's uh, as, as Luther will say, that's tempting God. And we don't want to do that. I like that. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Don't tempt God. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's nothing, there's nothing incompatible between faith and seeking out medical science, you know, as unlike what some groups and, you know, believe uh, there's you know do you take Tylenol if you have a fever well medical science has developed this means of reducing fever I mean how does that how exactly. does that invalidate faith Ex exactly and 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 Luther Luther and, and Calvin would say it doesn't invalidate in fact that's our expectations of 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 people whom God gave a brain to and yeah. so we get again we're beginning to see those some of those issues that emerge with the modern era in particular um, begin in this kind of early modern stage and um, when we begin to get you know we'll have Paracelsus and he, he'll mm -hmm. emerge well, beginnings of sophisticated anatomies we can actually cut into the bodies again and understand what the body looks like we begin to get early um, germ theory and disease theory and so these pieces come into play at the same time as the Reformation and they're being printed along with it so oh, nice. there's all this information and how are how are these people understanding it? Um, and they're understanding that this is part of, of ultimately God's gift for us to understand our world. Um, so um, it's pretty interesting um, how those pieces come into play as well. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think one other thing that we could mention today that the reformers look at this passage very much in tune with that Jesus some of the things we said earlier that Jesus was sent out. Uh, he was not supposed to stay there in Capernaum, but that he was actually sent out to minister to others. That was his call and expectation. And they believe Mark put that in there to tell us that. Mm -hmm. um, and so they interpreted it as a statement of his, his, his uh, ministry, yes. the purpose of his ministry in general, and not just, I came out of town for this reason. Uh, yes, that's how they interpreted that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, to mind you, they don't have the number of texts that we have available today um, to, to look at to see variation, but um, that was how they understood that anyway. Sure. Okay. So, Thanks. yeah, a little bit on the reformers. You bet. Hey, we are back. And... As we're working through this, I think it's interesting to process healing in our modern context. Um, and I think the idea of, of healing is um, particularly miraculous healings that we would read in um, Jesus's time are hard for us to wrap our brains around. And not only that, but it makes us ask, well, why don't we see more of this today? So I think let's start our conversation off with that. Well... You know, I have to say, I don't know. I don't know why we don't see more miraculous healings today. I do think we see, I think we see other signs of the kingdom that are miraculous. Um, uh, we we kind of tend to take them for granted, and so we don't really consider them miraculous. 
But I do think we see other signs of the kingdom in our lives that, that can be, I mean, just as tremendous of, of demonstrations of the presence of the kingdom as, um, you know, a healing or an exorcism was in Jesus' day. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, too, is um, that, that these miracles of healing and, and these exorcisms that Jesus did, these were means to support his ministry mm-hmm. of proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand and that he was bringing the, the presence of the kingdom into their lives. And, and so once that's done, then perhaps uh, there is um, not so much of a need for the validation of that uh, sign. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I think it may be a little bit like with, with the people of Israel encountering God on Mount Sinai. Later on, Moses and the prophets will say to them, you know, you, you saw the fire on the mountain, you heard the voice, what more do you need, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yet, of course, for generations that did not witness that firsthand, but only read about it in a book, it becomes far less of, a, of an experience that transforms them personally. And so I guess we, we, we have to look to our own personal spiritual experiences. And I guess that's mm-hmm. where I would look for the miracles mm-hmm. is in our spiritual lives Right. more so than right. in our, our physical lives. I mean, I, I think of my own experience. I, all of my adult life, I've dealt with uh, issues of depression. And, you know, there was a time about 15 years ago when I was about, just about ready to give up. I just uh, figured this was just going to be my life. And uh, through the help of a counselor, you know, I was able to experience some freedom and joy that I never thought possible. Mm-hmm. Is that a miracle? Well, it certainly transformed my life. It changed my mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, um, I'm grateful for it. But um, I get, that's, what I, that's what I mean by saying I think we see signs of wholeness and healing and signs of the presence of the kingdom in ways that we take for granted a little mm-hmm. more these days. I think so. And I think we can also apply, especially to these, these things that um, seemingly have very modern diagnoses i think we can look at our modern day science and explain some of these things but then i think we look at today saying well they weren't really miracles because we can explain that away and forgetting that i think god has a very active hand in many of the things that are happening in a hand in how um we are now have the knowledge to not only understand some of the things, but to to be innovative with the brains he gave us to to develop new um, new vaccines, for example, new he- new ways to help people heal, new new surgeries, um, and so I think we tend to write off what actually was uh, very true to its time. Sure, and. Um, yeah, they didn't have laparoscopic procedures in in, no. in Jesus' day. No, no, know? they weren't. They weren't in that space. But to write those off and saying, "Well, they didn't really heal," that's not accurate. And likewise, to say, "Well, today was activities aren't really miraculous because we can explain it by science," that's not fair yeah. either. Um, and I think what's to me what's so fascinating is God's hand in all of it, helping mm-hmm. us understand. Um, God's presence within the context of where we are. I was reading um, uh, one of the books from um, uh, a former seminary professor, uh, actually Hebrew, of Hebrew, and saying, you know, sometimes 
God lets us know things bit by bit as we can handle that information. And instead of trying to apply, for example, in this case, New Testament ideas to Old Testament um, uh, scripture saying, sometimes we just have to accept yes. that God is giving us this stuff to handle and understand where we where and how we can. And just like today, we know there's stuff that we expect to figure out. I mean, it's on our, our mind scientifically. Um, the fully understand black holes, for example, mm-hmm. we'll probably get there. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And that's going to change our perception of the world. That's going to yes, ch- under- ch- change our paradigm. Does that mean God isn't present? Which some people would say. Um, or is that God letting us understand our world within the context of, of what ideas come next, which is where I tend to lie. Um, and then by, by understanding God's presence there, that's part of that healing process. So, so why can't the fact that, you know, I know people who have a certain kind of leukemia and they take a medication that keeps it in remission permanently. Mm-hmm. Why can't we see that as, you know, I mean, obviously it is, it is an act of medical science, but why do we have to say it's either or? It's not God at mm-hmm. work through medical science, you know, granting wholeness and healing to those people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think another thing that this passage brought up for me was, um, is particularly the way the reformers looked at it, as there's there's disease that prevents us from having a whole life, and then there's natural aging that comes about. Mm-hmm. We are we're mortal. We're not supposed to live forever. So how are we whole in the completeness of this human life that we are ready for the next life, but not expect somehow that <laughs> our deaths are somehow representative, uh, representative of, of some kind of evil? Sure. And I think that's another place that comes to mind is sometimes we think, well, geez, if I'm sick and I'm elderly, then God has forsaken me. And that's... Um, Part of that's our lifespan. Part of that's the time that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, and part of it is just the way nature works. You know, we understand, like for example, a virus. We understand, you know, that a virus is going to do what a virus is going to do, and and you know, we know that viruses mutate, which is why we now have to get a flu shot every year because the strain of the flu that goes around is different each year, mm-hmm. and we're grateful that we have. You know, scientists who can study that and develop uh, um, a flu shot that mm-hmm. will help us mm-hmm. to to fend that off. Again, it's not kind of an either or; it's it's kind of a both and. And um, I do think, though, I agree that um, you know it's easy for us to think, "Well, I'm suffering, therefore I must have done something wrong." Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, you know, there's a f- fair chunk of the Hebrew Bible that reinforces that notion that that those who do what is wrong mm-hmm. will suffer and if you're suffering it's because you've done something wrong you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it's like what you said about your 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 Hebrew professor you know that may have been God's revelation for the people in that day and 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 perhaps he had some some purpose for giving them that 
those 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 teachings in in that day and time you know that he was trying to bring them along mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. that's not our understanding of of evil and suffering today mm -hmm. you know we, we we have the example of jesus you know where a man who was born blind and the disciples come to him and say who sinned you know this man or his parents mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. because somebody had to have done somebody committed had a to sin do something wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so um uh, and jesus said no it didn't happen it wasn't about that at all it was so that god's God could manifest his glory through this person, you know? Yeah. And the fact of the matter is we live in a world in which sometimes things go wrong, you know? Sometimes mm -hmm. things in our bodies go wrong. Mm -hmm. Sometimes viruses come up and they attack our bodies and we, you know, we don't have the means of fending them off. And that's how the world works. Uh, is that evil? Is that is that you know, something to be feared? Is it? Is it something that is a, a punishment for sin? There are a lot of people out there that want to go there, but I'm not mm -hmm. comfortable with that. I mean, you know, life has these challenges, and God is with us through it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point of, of the passage is that Jesus comes to make it clear that mm -hmm. God's kingdom is, is the reality that is going to define our lives mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and and maybe and, and god's kingdom is the reality that does define our lives maybe more so than we realize and if it's not if we don't see it as clearly as we'd like to now the promise is that one day one day we we will we will, <laughs> yeah. We will. yeah yeah exactly and you know as i look at um just all the different things we talked about today but you know as, as I look at Jesus holding the hand mm -hmm. of that sick elderly yes. woman um, and seeing her humanity and somehow somehow she's healed in, in whatever capacity she's healed if the fever's gone she's she feel valued again and in, in an ability where she can do what she wants to do which is to take care of them and to serve them sure. I mean there's so much beauty in that mm -hmm. presented that way um with with the re restoration of purpose for the life the little bit she has left to live sure. i think that is that is that is remarkable um it, it values her in her age and her her position and her place and i i think that's really really interesting and how that like calvin had that touch mm -hmm. and that that symbol for um for grace um and uh, I think it, it reminds me of, of how a grace-filled life, um, one where you, where you fall into the faith, can be so sustaining. Um, and, and then thinking about that call on your life through that faith that you share with others, how that can be so life-giving and how that takes on almost a miracle in its own sense. Sure, you know? it is. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of depth to this passage on a lot of different levels, which when that happens, which it happens so often, is where I am so amazed with Scripture as a whole. Yeah. Because I think there is an absolute reflection of back in the day, yes. the miracle that happened, yeah. as understood by those folks. I think there's also the way we can understand it in a very modern context, which is still miraculous. And it just shows us, I think, really of the fullness of the Scripture, of how it is timeless and seamless and important. Well, and we see that God is still at work, you know, yes. in and through our ministries. Yes. You know, I've I've held many hands, many elderly hands on the final day. Mm -hmm. And some of those experiences were hard mm -hmm. because 
you know, I was there for the whole time and I was there for the passing. And I remember one time recently, I really didn't know what to do or say. They didn't ask for prayer. So I simply sat praying silently. Mm -hmm. And then at times I would take my turn holding the hand of of this woman who was a member of my church. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I was just there. Mm-hmm. I was just there. And, you know, we talk about the ministry of presence. I think about mm-hmm. Jesus as his presence brought the kingdom of God into people's lives. Mm-hmm. I hope that my presence there brought the kingdom of God into those people's lives mm-hmm. on that day, and especially into her life as mm-hmm. she was in the process of dying. Mm-hmm. I had another experience recently where I visited a, a woman the day before she passed away. She also was a member of my church, and I held her hand. It was, it was late at night, and so I didn't have a lot of time, but I just held her, held her hand. I spoke to her. Uh, she didn't really speak back. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was not doing well. She was not able to speak much. But I, I, I talked with her, and then you know, just in a very soothing way, just trying to impart a sense of God's presence, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. she was not alone. And then I prayed for her and I concluded my prayer with the Lord's prayer and she joined me in parts of that mm-hmm. and and to me that was like a it was almost like a miraculous sign mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. here's this woman she's in the process of dying she's 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 not she's kind of going in and out of consciousness but she's aware enough to know that I'm praying the Lord's prayer mm-hmm. and aware enough to pray it with me yeah someone could say well that's kind of lame all you did was go and pray with somebody but you know, I think it's a matter of perspective because I, I think I think just our presence in those scenarios mm-hmm. can bring the kingdom into the lives of these mm-hmm. people, and we may mm-hmm. not be, even be aware of it. You know, we we don't always get to hear a dying person join in the Lord's prayer right. when right. they're not really speaking. You know, right. we don't always get that, but I think we have to have the faith and the trust that just our presence there. And hopefully the words we say, mm-hmm. the prayers we pray, they, they, they bring that grace. It's like mm-hmm. Calvin said, you know, we're, we're placing our hands on these people and we're lifting them up to God and, and commending them into mm-hmm. his hands, into his grace. And hopefully that helps them to experience that grace in that moment. Right. And I, to me, that can, mm-hmm. why, why, why can we not see that as a sign of the presence of the kingdom? I think we, I think we should. And um, that's most precious space to be in you can feel the presence of god right there hovering about and it's awesome um it's awesome to be witness to that um experience and i think that's you know partly what they bring out here is we don't need to be afraid of people that aren't healed who are who have lived their lives yes but i do know that people who stop and listen for those prayers um, absolutely feel supported. They feel this, this sense of that they're, they're floating on this, this strength of prayer from others. You can mm-hmm. feel them wrap around you. And, you know, <laughs> I had interesting, um, during COVID, um, uh, we lost a member and uh, I had, of course, we can't visit the way we want to. You all know that. Um, but I ran up a prayer shawl, and um, we lost this this member. And but I was told that 
he had that prayer shawl wrapped around his shoulders mm. when he died. Wow. It, it meant a lot to know that he felt surrounded in prayer. Yes. Well, that's our podcast for today. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.